Can't trust everything you read on the internet. In case you didn't know that, that's where we'll start off tonight. Don't trust everything you read on the internet. I know, right? Brand new information. This is shocking. I'm really glad I came tonight because now I know this to be true. We're going to be in Ephesians 3, so if you want to scroll there or turn in your paper Bible, uh, if you really love Jesus, you got one of those. Ow, just kidding, just kidding. We're going to be in Ephesians 3, uh, but before we jump in there, uh, four years ago, we started this church uh, with a dream. Uh, what if Mesa was not just known as being the place where people who couldn't get into Tempe or Chandler ended up living? Uh, or if it, what if it wasn't just a place that was known for brokenness? What if it wasn't just a place known for homelessness? What if it wasn't just a place that was known as a place that you ended up, not a place you chose? Uh, but what if Mesa was known because of the grace of God taking up root here as a place of redemption, of healing, of reconciliation, of flourishing? Uh, what if just four years ago, we wondered what if when people came to downtown Mesa, they didn't say, oh, wonder what went wrong here, but rather said, wow, what's going on here? That when people heard about uh, God moving, that it wasn't uncommon for them to think of the zip codes that we call our homes, not just countries far, far away. I want you to know that my hope tonight is that we would be encouraged. And so whether you come in here uh, feeling really heavy or you come in here celebrated, you come in here with a ton of questions or barely holding on, at the outset, I 100% believe that Jesus has something to speak to you tonight. If we'll have ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts that we'll receive. And that's not just preacher language because I'm supposed to say that because I'm up front with the mic. Uh, what we're going to talk about tonight literally has the power to change your life, this community, and is changing the world. And so like any good uh, sermon that's going to start off with a promise like that, we're going to start off by talking about surfing. It's not where you saw that going. <laughs> I was uh, taking one of my friends surfing. Uh, he showed up when I was younger. I lived on the beach in New Jersey. And so one of the things that would happen is that people would come visit from different parts of the world that I'd met in different parts of my life. And they'd want to come in and they'd be like, hey, will you take me out surfing? And so we would do that because it was a lot of fun. Uh, there's a lot of details I could tell to make this story even funnier. Uh, but we're going to skip those and just say, I had him on the beach. We were using the longboard. Has anybody here ever taken a surfing lesson? Uh, you know that really long board that hopefully they had you on because it's kind of like a houseboat that you get to go on because they made a promise to you when you paid your money uh, that you'd be able to stand up by the end of the lesson. And so they basically take a houseboat, they throw some fins on it, they have you practice on the beach first, right? They have you do the paddling, they have you do the pop-up, uh, they t ask you which foot goes forward, your left or your right, are you goofy? I'll share with you, Emily Sharp, you're trying to get on the internet. I got you. <laughs> They want to make sure which foot goes forward. If your left foot's in the back, you're goofy. If your right foot goes in the back, you're 
opposite of me, and so you're regular is what they call it. Uh, and so we, we did that. We did all those fun parts, had them out there, and we started to take them out into the ocean. And we go in, and as you guys know, especially if you're in California, when you go to paddle in, if you do this in Hawaii, it's a little bit easier. It's a lot a bit easier. But in California, you basically have to paddle out through all the waves. And if you make it on the other side, then you get pushed in and hopefully stand up and then have to battle all the waves on the back out. And so my friend grabs the board, goes out, and he's following right behind me. We go for it. Uh, he's holding on to his board. I'm holding on to mine. I paddle, duck dive a few waves, turn around because I wanted him to be right behind me so that way he didn't get lost. It's a big ocean out there. Uh, and so didn't want him to get lost and turned around. And all I see is him like gulping and gasping, like salt water streaming out of his nose, his mouth, probably his ears. It looked like it was from everywhere. And so I paddled back to him and I was like, hey, man, you all right? And he's like, dude, I, I don't know how to swim. I was like, bro, that's like thing number one. Like, you, you should have told me that. Like, I was showing you how to paddle on the beach. We should have gotten you a life jacket. That's, that's job number one. Because if you don't know how to swim, uh, surfing isn't for you. And I made the mistake of assuming, which grown-ups and kids alike, you should never assume. Adults alike, you know Why? that he could do that because he was in the space. We were at the beach. We were talking surfing. He asked me to do it. And I assumed that he knew the basic thing before we could go to the advanced thing. Uh, what we're going to talk about tonight is literally the most basic building block of following Jesus. And here's what it is. If you're taking notes, God loves you, period. That's the building block on which everything else will build in the Christian faith. If we do not get the idea, if we start somewhere else other than the love of God, we will end up with a distorted faith. And Paul, as he's praying for his friends in Ephesus, he wants to start there. He says, I, I want you guys to know that God loves you. And some of you are like, duh, and some of you are like, I learned that in a song a long, long time ago somewhere in a galaxy far, far away. Sunday school was something. Others of you are like, yo, I used to think that was simple, but it is a lot more complex these days than it used to be. And for any of those three spaces, the message still echoes out. God loves you. Look, we all have dreams and they're not bad things to have. When we want to see Mesa and Gilbert transform because the gospel's true, that's a good thing. When we want to see the spirit breaking family cycles of pain, that's a good thing. When we want to see families renewed, when we want to see a multi-generational movement of disciple makers who are aware of their giftings and commissioned out to live in them throughout the city and throughout the globe, that is a good thing. When we have dreams of seeing people who are controlled by addiction set free, that is a good thing. When we dream of having the power to say no to our addictions, that is a good thing. When we dream to see families restored and renewed and what was broken brought back together, that is a good thing. When we dream to see a church that is multi-ethnic, not just monocultural, that is a good thing. When we look to see different socioeconomic levels worshiping together because Jesus is what they have in common, not a certain bank account, that's a good thing. When we see people who are coming together together for various reasons to worship the true and risen Savior and him producing fruit, that's a good thing. But if we ever get caught up in trying to do the work of God 
without the spirit of God, without being connected to the power of God, the love of God. It's like trying to go surfing but not knowing how to swim. Eventually, you will be out of your depth and in a lot of trouble. Eventually, what seems so simple, I'm gonna stand up on the board and then I'll go, has you gurgling for air because the wave has crashed over you. And so as a faith family, I want to see us flourish. I want to see us fruitful. I want to see the gospel continue to grow roots down deep in our lives. But all of that needs to be based on that first building block of remembering that God is a God of love. And because of Jesus, his affection is pouring out on us. So would you pray with me and then we're gonna jump into Ephesians. Uh, Jesus, I do ask that you would uh, fill my heart, fill my lips with the words you want me to encourage your family with tonight. Uh, wearing that we have a complex relationship when it comes to your love. A love that we feel like sometimes has maybe let us down. At other times it's indescribable. At other times we felt it more intensely than we even do now. And so I do pray, Spirit of the living God, that you would fall again, fresh on this community. And from the oldest to the youngest in the sound of my voice, that there would be an increased awareness of the incredible love that you have for us. That the women and men and children that walked into this space walk out more aware of how you really feel about them and what that means for the rest of their lives. We love you, Jesus. And we ask this in your name, by the power of your spirit. Amen. Amen. Uh, we're going to read from Ephesians 3. Chapter 14 is where we'll be. Or uh, 3, verse 14. Paul prays this. Uh, for this reason, I kneel. Uh, if you guys were here last week, sorry, I'm only stopping this one time and then I'm going to read the whole thing. Uh, last week, he talked about God's great big cosmic plan to restore heaven and earth together and out of that to form one people, uh, Jewish and Gentile. No culture has supreme say in the kingdom of God, but God is forming a new people of every single ethnicity into one family under his grace, and he has the power to do that. And so there's no, in his kingdom, there is no black church, there's no white church, there's no Asian church, there's no Mongolia, there's no other, there's no churches that are all separated out by ethnicity. He's got one family, one people, one church. We experience that in different places. I get that. But he says, I have the power to do that in humanity, and I'm doing it in creation. So, for this reason, for this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ being may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. So first of all, Missio, if we could learn to pray just like that, that'd be pretty impressive. That's not my main point. 
We're just gonna break this down as we go through this. Uh, I want us to see some different things. I'll leave the text up there on the screen as we walk through this. Let's get into the passage. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family on heaven and earth derives its name. Uh, As we're reading this, the first thing just to notice, uh, we don't do this in front of many people, do we? Like we don't go into most arenas. You don't go to work at a restaurant or order your food at a restaurant and they're like, hey, what can I do for you? And you're like, yeah, hold on real quick, real quick, real quick. I'll get a number two with a Coke, please. Right? Or, I mean, you don't show up uh, at school and it's time to pledge the allegiance and we all kneel. No, like that's not what we do. Uh, we kneel, kneeling shows this, this position of humility and submission to the one that you are speaking to. When we look back, it's often what was done in front of kings or royalty. The one who has power is the one that we say, hey, I know I can't even stand in your presence. I don't need to run away. That's why you're kneeling down. You can't attack from your knees. It's really tough. Uh, Later, if you want to, uh, one of you start wrestling and one of you start on your knees and the other one try to punch the person. Like, you'll be able, the person standing has all the power. The person that's kneeling down is most likely gonna get knocked down. It's a position saying, I'm not here to attack, I'm not here to run away, I'm here at your will. And that's the position that Paul takes in front of God. He says he's a father. And I know that language is difficult, maybe more difficult for some of us than others because the word father conjures up images of angry people or it conjures up distant things or loss and what I don't have and what I wish I had and what I never experienced or what was only abuse. And so it's a word that needs redemption so much in our communities, but it's still the word that God uses. And so you have to say, well, what kind of father is he? He is not a distant dad who sends off child support checks back to earth every now and then to check in how we're doing. He is a powerfully present God. Isaiah 6 paints a picture of uh, God and he's in his throne room. You don't have to, oh no. We're back. He paints this picture in the throne room in Isaiah 6 uh, of God being the one who's in the throne and the train of his uh, robe fills the whole temple and the temple's smoking. Uh, the world seems like it was going crazy, but, but Isaiah's there in the temple room looking at it and seeing this picture of God. And in this place, there's angels, the seven, six wings, and they're these fierce creatures that are the warrior beings that are incredible to look at, incredible to behold, but they're not even the most amazing thing. God is there and they're shouting out in that space, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. Uh, The God who stands above all of creation is the God that we get to call dad. This is the one through whom every family on earth gets his name. So none of us are first in line for priority. None of us fall far behind because we're late to the game. But every tribe, every tongue, every people group that are brought into get their name from God. Take a breath in. Take a breath out. You're able to do that because of God and his power holding it together. If he said you don't get to breathe in, you don't breathe in. If he says you don't get to breathe out, you're winning the long, world's longest breath-holding competition. But we live and breathe and have our being because of him. This is the God who is promising to bring restoration to all of creation. That's the one being addressed. 
And so Paul's prayer request looks like this. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Uh, If this is, hey, I pray, uh, God, that you would, out of Kevin's riches, uh, provide everything that Missio Mesa might want or need or desire. You guys would all be like, boring, like we ain't getting nothing, right? Like out of the overflow of Kevin's riches, we get nothing. When he says out of the overflow of the riches of God, that's everything. That's meant to make your eyes light up and realize, oh, there's no end to that. Oh, creation, all of creation, the earth, but then the cosmos and then all the galaxies that exist, like absolutely everything that is, is God's, right? He has possession of it all. So out of his glorious riches, that's everything. He wants his church, his friends, imperfect as they are, to be strengthened by the power being worked out in the spirit. That word power, uh, it's the word that when English people were trying to figure out, yeah, how do we describe, I mean, how do we describe a, a substance that uh, has the ability to uh, break down the hardest barriers. Like when we look at impossible situations that it seems like there's no way through it, but then you add this substance to it and all of a sudden there's a gaping way to go. How would we do that? What word do we want to use? We use the word dynamite, right? This, this, This substance that you stick in the middle of an impossible situation like a mountain, light it up, let it go, and all of a sudden what didn't used to be possible is now completely possible. When they were trying to figure out what do we call this stuff, they called it dynamite because the Greek word for this kind of power is dynamos. And so we don't name it after dynamite, that's backwards. We name dynamite after this word, saying that would describe the kind of power. And so when we're thinking about what's God want to do, what's he doing here? He wants to strengthen our inner being through this power, this disruptive ability to break through the hardest of circumstances and what was impossible to make possible, that's what he wants to do. Through his spirit, the third person of the Trinity doing this work. Where's he doing it? Is he doing it at the margins? Is he doing it kind of at the surface level? It says in your inner being. In your inner being, this goes past the mask. This goes deeper than the symptoms. Uh, This goes past the pretenses. This is past the plastic smile and the Christian permagrin. How you doing? I'm doing great. Not really. Everything's on fire in my life, but you don't want to hear that. So we're doing really good. Don't worry about it. Stuff isn't falling apart. Promise. Uh, This is you. Uh, Maybe a better way to understand it. This is you when your phone runs out of battery and you're stuck with your own thoughts. Uh, When your Netflix queue runs out. And there's no new shows and you're forced to think about your own self, your own life. Who are you and what kind of person do you want to be in this world? The deep recesses of your being. He says, I want to strengthen you in that place by the power of my spirit. I want to go into that space with God's own spirit to see something transformed. Because when we don't get to that level of experiencing God's favor and his grace, and we still try doing the work of God without, again, an awareness of the love of God, we will burn out, we'll grow weary and not know where to turn for hope. Suddenly, we can't seem to forgive others. We can't love. We can't selflessly serve. We go through the motions for a bit, but eventually wear out if this deep inner part of us is not experiencing the Spirit's transformative power. 
Simply put, when we don't look to God for that strength and we try to do it on our own, we will all find out that we can't do it. So why does he wanna strengthen us? <laughs> what does he wanna do that for? Uh, Paul's prayer and what he says is there is it so that we can trust Jesus so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. If we don't regularly rely on this power, we will not experience the growth of our faith. Our faith does not grow because we show up on Sundays. Our faith does not grow because we read our Bibles every day. It doesn't show up because you share your faith with others. It doesn't show up because you give all your money away. It doesn't show up because you bless others. Like our faith doesn't show up in our hearts because we do those things. Though each of those things can be an outflow of our faith. But our faith grows because Jesus causes it to grow. And again, the spirit working that thing down, that power down deep, that grace down deep into the inner parts of our being so that we can trust and rely on Jesus in our heart, which is the control center of who we are. Now, the reason the heart's used all throughout the Bible isn't because it's a cute uh, organ to draw, right? Like, I mean, we draw a heart kind of nice. If you've ever seen it, anybody in biology ever actually seen a heart? or you've looked at it on TV and you quick turn to the channel, you're like, that's nasty. Like hearts aren't really like cool organs to look at. They're really gross, aren't they? Kids, when you grow up and get to go to biology, if you still get to do these sort of things in person, not just online, uh, it's gross. Um, hearts look nasty. But they're this, this part of us that's the core of who we are. So when the Bible talks about heart, it's the center of our being. And God says, that's the part that I wanna control that's the part that I wanna see changed. That's the part that I wanna see my power and grace working out in is the core of who you are. Because when we don't, we will turn to something else to put our trust in. And this happens every single time. Sometimes we trust the activities that we've done or maybe the growth that we've experienced because of the grace of God. And then we start to think we're doing well. Uh, maybe we say, yeah, I've got three years sober. I have this on lock. Uh, I've started serving with kids. Clearly the spirit of God is changing my heart. Uh, I was a part of starting this church. I read through the Bible this last year. I showed up two Sundays, not just one. We can start to rely on our efforts, but as soon as we do rely on something other than Jesus, it will collapse because it's not meant to hold the weight. So Lyric and I were uh, throwing paper airplanes in the playroom. And so you guys ever build paper airplanes? You know what they are? Who's got a killer paper airplane? Just, yep, you can do it later. We're not doing it now, but you guys should collaborate. Um, paper airplanes, we were throwing it across the room and we were just throwing it. And I did a pretty good one, if I'm not gonna lie. Like it was going across the whole playroom, which is my bar for success. Some of you are like, yo, I could throw it like 100 yards and you're, congratulations. I could throw it across the playroom. And so we throw it across the playroom and uh, he had Iron Man, a character uh, in his hand. It's not made of iron, it's made of plastic, but it's still heavy when it comes to airplanes. And so he stuck the air, Iron Man on the airplane. He's like, watch, and he throws it, right? And when he throws Iron Man, figurine, on top of a paper airplane, what happens the second he throws it? Oh, and what happens to it? It falls, it crashes, why? Was there something wrong with my airplane? No, it just was never meant to hold the weight of Iron Man. So these things in our life that are good things, right? These things in our life that are, that are positive things, whether it's I've got three years sober, I serve in a church, I'm a part of doing things that are part of the kingdom of God and that's really good. I'm a part of a missional community. I serve the poor, I give my money. Like all those things are good things, but they were never meant to hold the weight of our trust to make us feel whole. 
Does that make sense? There's nothing wrong with those things, but they can't hold the weight that we put on them. And just like Iron Man on an airplane, they will crash. When those small gods sneak into our hearts, they steal our worship. And Paul knew that. And so he's praying against that, praying that they would be strengthened in their inner being against all the whims that were coming at them, against all the desires, against all the things that threaten us in small ways to draw us away from the love of God, to say, I want you secure and trusting in him. If we worship performance, we'll get burnout. When we worship control, we get anxiety. When we worship acceptance, we get insecurity. When we worship comfort, we get boredom. When we worship Jesus, we get life. And that's what Paul wanted for his friends. And he knew the best antidote against these false and flimsy failing saviors that we often turn to is a big vision of God. And so he goes on to say, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to look up real quick, look up, don't look down or we're getting off that one, there we go. Here's what I want you to do. Would you turn to uh, two or three people around you, really close, really small circle. If you could ask God to do anything for your friends. Paul just gave this wind up. He said, I am praying that God would work this powerfully out in your hearts. I'm praying these things. And now here's what I want. I'm praying that you, along with all the saints, would have power to, he's going to give us his request, Turn to one or two people around you, really small group of friends. I'm pulling you back in a second. What would you ask God to do your, for your friends? Anything in the world, you've got it. Turn towards each other. What's something that comes to mind? What would you like to see God do? So come on back, come on back, come on back. What were some of the things you guys said? Oh, what do you have, Liam? Just shout it out. Oh, there we go. Invite me to their birthday parties. That's, God cares about it all. List it off. I said anything. We're going to go grown up, adult, uh, grown up. So grown ups, you got to talk next because kids want to talk. Sorry, kids. Go ahead and look around at all the grown ups around you. Repair broken relationships. Caden. Keep them safe. Grown up. Heal diseases. Yeah, amen. Keller. More joy. Come on now. He's going to preach to us. Ken's, oh, nope, sorry, growing up. <laughs> Just because you have a relationship with Christ, I'm going to go ahead and go for time. Maybe it was uh, something like, I want to invite you to be, be invited to more birthday parties. That matters. Uh, maybe it was something big, like I would just pray that like Martin Luther King Jr.'s dream would actually be able to come true. I would pray that maybe in the Middle East, where there's still wars going on that seem like they will have no end and people are being oppressed, that the value of human life will be escalated and that people would be able to enjoy peace and harmony for all sorts of people. Uh, maybe it's something crazy like, like wishing that the KKK would be abolished because there's nobody else to be members of it or seeing the Taliban just show up one day and drop down all their weapons. Uh, maybe it's seeing diseases that we know are killing people all of a sudden cured and no more. Or maybe it's things that come into school that bullies would no longer bully, that marriages would be put back together, that friend groups wouldn't be divided, that what happened to some of us at the hands of others would never happen to someone else ever again. There's a lot of things that we could fill in that list. Paul, when he prays, he says, I 
want them to be strengthened in the power of Christ. I want you to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Before we do anything else, and in Ephesians, he's about to take a turn in chapter four and start telling them things they ought to do. But before he gets to this is the way your lives need to change now because of the gospel, he says, I want you to be able to grasp how great God's love actually is. Because when you get that, you don't have to live a way that honors Jesus. You want to live a way that honors Jesus. He says, I want you in the deepest parts of who you are to know the love of God, which is very different, fam, than knowing about the love of God. Knowing about the love of God, you can memorize some verses. You could probably watch some YouTube clips. You could maybe even sing a song or two. But what Paul's praying for is that they would actually know not like what it's like to get a hug, but to have God's embrace for them. That their hearts would be filled to the fullness of Christ in a way that in a world where so many things can go wrong, in a world where so much brokenness exists, in a world where we face time and time again loss and disappointment, the effects of our own decisions and other people's decisions that wreak havoc in our lives, that he says, in the space where all that still exists, I want you to be able to experience the love of God. And I know that that's an inability. It surpasses your knowledge. You can't get it. But that's why I'm asking the God who can do anything to give it to you. And this is the part of the message that's really hard because I can't even make this happen, right? This isn't like, all right, Kevin, so now what's the practice we do to be able to get this? And all I can say is it's the practice that Paul just did. We pray that Jesus shows up in this way and receive it when he shows up this way. With eyes open but hearts open to accept this love of God that surpasses our ability to comprehend it intellectually, but fills our heart to capacity. Filled with the fullness of God, just in case you thought it was daunting before, there's no height, no depth, no width, right? And so that's a big deal. But how about the fullness of God to which there is no end, right? He's the uncreated creator, the self-sustaining sustainer. He is the one in whom, through whom, by whom everything exists. And so I want you to experience that fullness. But can you imagine what it would be like to live in the daily reality that full that God actually loves you? Because of Christ, he's not disappointed in you. He's not scowling at you. He's not asking, why didn't you keep your act together? How could you mess up? Why would you ever do that? But God's first posture towards us is love because of Christ. Tim Keller says, being loved is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense. It humbles us out of our self-righteousness and fortifies us for any difficulty that life can throw at us. Uh, Maya Angelou says, it's only love that is capable of setting us free. Paul says, in the deepest parts of you, I want you to know that you're loved by God. So in the places where we constantly hear, I'm not good enough, no one wants me, I'm a failure, I'm destined to be like my parents, my life is wasted already, I can't do this. In those places, at the deepest part of us, do we hear the Spirit of God saying, no, I love you. 
That's the truest thing about you, that we are known and loved by God. Paul wraps up this prayer saying, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. So broken city, broken family, broken relationships, broken heart, racist coworkers, hardened heart of your spouse, patterns of destructive behavior wreaking havoc in your life. The God who is reuniting heaven and earth, making one new humanity, defeating death and establishing his church and restoring all things back to himself. It says, my love can change any of those things. And is it work to do that? Paul wraps up his prayer, say to him, you know, the one who's able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. And, and, and trust me, that imagine piece is a pretty tall order. Like we can imagine a lot and we got kids in here and so their imaginations are even better than grownups. But more than we ask or imagine he's able to do to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. In case you're wondering, church language, amen just means let it be true. And that's the invitation for us tonight to step more fully into an awareness that God actually loves us in the deep places. Our failures don't keep us distance. The, the sacrifice of Jesus restores that. The disappointments we face aren't too great for his love to come through. The hardness of our hearts or the hardness of somebody else's heart that we're like, man, God's grace could never get through to there. Passages like this remind us and anchor us that that is simply not true. I'm gonna invite you to go ahead and close your eyes and, and pray with me. Even if you're not an eye closer, usually I'm gonna invite you to do that anyway. And I wanna give a, a moment for us before we rush into the busyness of what's next to say, do you need a fresh experience with God's love? Take this moment and pray for him to fill your heart again. Or do you need to experience the power of God at work in and through you? Pray for his power to present itself in your life. Uh, God comes in the spaces that he's welcome in our hearts. Or maybe you feel like you're following Jesus alone. Something I didn't get to highlight in here is that, that Paul makes this prayer with, for people, but then along with all the saints. He, he reminds them that there's partners in following Jesus and so if you feel like you're alone in this and, and you're wrestling with that feeling, pray for the grace and the hope to press into partnerships that God's giving you. And if you're like, that was really good, I don't remember what you said, it's on the screen too, so you can peek. But my hope is that we take this space and actually pray this over our lives allowing the spirit to not just talk about him doing the work, but allow him to do that work right now, to remind us that we're deeply loved, to remind us that there is power at work in us. We are not helpless in this world, but we have the power of the living God at work in us, that we are not alone in this world, but we have partners 
to live alongside of, to wrestle, to mourn, to grieve, to pray, to remind us of what's true. And so Jesus, we open up our lives again, asking you to make us aware of your grace, asking us to make us aware of your love, to show us that we are deeply loved in this place, that we don't have to earn it, we don't have to behave a certain way, but we receive it. So Jesus, the barriers maybe that have been there historically in our hearts, I ask that your voice would whisper and melt those away. That your voice would speak a better word over us and remind us of the most basic thing that is true, not just in our heads, but in our hearts, that we are loved by you. We ask this in your name, Jesus and by the power of your spirit who is here, amen.